so let's begin our city, obviously city council work session concerning the budget for fiscal year 2019. Uh, first, I'd like to thank all of you for coming. Uh, you're responding, many of you are, are responding to an innovation that Kingsley Botchway came up with, uh, the idea of having a breakfast uh, with the budget. So kudos to Kingsley, great idea. I think we're all really pleased with it. Likewise, kudos to the staff for laying out the donuts, the bagels, the coffee, the juice, <laughs> and all that. Uh, thank you, Kelly. I think you probably organized all that. So Jeff. we're all, I don't know, pumped and ready to go. We only have a seven-hour meeting or whatever it is today. <laughs> Won't turn out to be that long probably, but we're going to begin with Jeff, correct? I think the idea is Jeff's going to give us an overview of our budget for the forthcoming year. Yes, thank you. Um, and I'm going to have some help with the presentation. Ashley and Simon are both going to uh, take a chunk of it so you don't have to listen to me talk for an hour, an hour and a oh. half. Um, but I am going to start off, and I want to start off with um, uh, some thank yous. Uh, pulling together um, a budget for an organization of our size is, is no small task. It takes several months. And it really starts with uh, our individual departments um, and, the, and particularly the department heads that uh, coordinate their budgets. and. Uh, this year, uh, they made our job a lot easier by submitting very responsible budgets. And I can tell you, there's probably not a department in the city that wouldn't love to have a lot more financial resources to carry out the services that they do to the public. Um, but the department heads understand the financial constraints, and they submit um, budgets, uh, again, that are very responsible, which makes the job of the budget committee um, much easier. The Budget Committee is just an internal group that sits down with the, each department and reviews their submittals line by line. Uh, it takes a couple of months to get through that process. Uh, Ashley, Simon, and I are on that committee, uh, as is uh, Dennis Bockenstead, our Finance Director, Jacqueline Budding, who's sitting over here, uh, Nicole Davies from the Finance Department as well. Um, and uh, we complete that process, and ultimately the Finance Department creates the 680-page budget that you have in front of you, which I'm sure you all read over the last uh, couple of weeks. Um, uh, it, it is no small undertaking. Uh, particular thanks goes to the finance staff with Dennis, Jacqueline, and also Cindy Ambrose, who, who really do the heavy lifting to, uh, to pull that together. And then to uh, Simon for the work that he does. The presentation that you'll see in the transmittal letter that you read in the budget are really the work of, of, of Simon, so we appreciate uh, uh, everybody's effort there. Uh, today we're going to be talking about the operating budget. Okay, so on Tuesday we'll talk about the uh, capital improvements budget. Capital improvements would be the major road projects, major parks and facilities. Um, today we're really focused on the operations. And uh, what we'll do today is uh, you'll get a high-level budget overview uh, from the city manager's office. And then one by one you'll have an opportunity to interact with department heads as they uh, tell you what's in their budget, and, uh, and again, you'll have the ability to ask them questions about um, uh, not only things that are taking place uh, in their budget, but just operations in general, any questions that you uh, want to ask them. When it comes to the budget, um, it probably is the most important decision that the council makes. Um, if there's not resources in the budget behind a particular initiative or project, the project's not going to happen. So. Um, 
really you should feel free to ask any questions that you want because anything that's on your mind probably has a tie to the budget in some way shape or form so whether that's today or at a future work session uh, uh, please keep in mind that uh, the, the time is now to ask some of those questions here's the schedule that you have in front of you um, the uh, March 15th date is uh, required by state law, so that's the that's the end date that we have, and there is a public hearing uh, that has to take place before then. So really, the key dates that I want to have you focus on are January 9th and February 20th. Okay, January 9th is next Tuesday. That's when we review the capital plan with you this in that afternoon. Um, February 20th is when we have to set that public hearing to meet the state deadlines. You really have between January 9th and February 20th to complete your budget deliberations and make the changes that you need to. Um, you can actually back that February date uh, uh, up a little bit uh, because obviously we have to prepare the documents for the, the, the setting of the public hearing. So really January 9th to February 10th or 12th or something in there. And that's when we'll have to work with you to schedule special work sessions uh, as needed to so that you can deliberate uh, uh, any aspect of the budget you need to. Uh, you do have a 680-page budget in front of you. Um, it's not realistic that you're going to be able to digest all of that information. You should read any component of that budget that, that certainly you, you can and that you find interesting. Um, however, in order to kind of guide you, I would suggest that these sections here um, are, are the pages that you really need to focus on. There's about 50 pages there. Um, if you uh, cannot get to anything else, I would focus in on, on these particular sections. I think they're most most relevant to the policy making uh, decisions um, that you have uh, with the budget and, and the most informative in terms of some of our policies and our financial position right now. We're going to do uh, a basic overview of uh, our fund structure. This is how the budget is organized. Um, what you see uh, in each of these little boxes uh, you can think of as individual accounts. And each of these accounts have unique aspects to them. Uh, there's certain strings attached to each one, certain limitations on uh, what money can be spent on. And there's different revenue mixes in each of these. So I won't go through all of them, but I'll hit some of the major ones. You start on the top left of the screen with your general fund. We spend the vast majority of our time focusing on the general fund. That is where most of the operating services occur in the general fund. Your police, your fire, your parks and rec, your administrative staff all take place in the general fund largely supported by property taxes, and we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, that is where the real prioritization takes place. Um, that's where you have the most discretion, um, but it's also where we have a lot of the financial uh, limitations because of our dependence on property tax and our, really our inability to, to add a whole lot of different revenue mixes uh, or revenue sources to, to that uh, particular fund. The next category over is our special <laughs> revenue funds. Um, these are um, uh, individual funds that have very specific purposes and very specific um, revenue sources that support them. So you can start with the top as, as examples, CDBG and HOME. Those are two federal grant programs. That those those funds are, you know, what we get is what we get from, from Congress. Each year they decide what we get, and the, the CDBG and the HOME program have very defined uses on how we can use those funds. 
uh, road use tax would be another good example. That's the, the, the money that we get from the state from the fuel tax that people pay when they fill up their, their vehicles. Um, we have very specific limitations on how we can spend road use tax dollars. I can't take road use tax dollars and build a park or hire uh, a staff person in the fire department. Um, so those you can think of individual accounts that just have very narrow focus. Debt service fund is, is self-explanatory. Uh, when we borrow money, we have a, um, a debt service obligation. Uh, so that's really um, our tax, we're bringing in tax dollars to pay off those <coughs> bonds. Enterprise funds uh, are treated like a business account. Um, you can think of it as, as the, the government running a business without the profit motive um, in there. So each of these funds are designed to be self-sustaining, meaning that the revenue that they bring in pay for the expenses that are going out. Uh, probably the easiest way to focus on that is to look at some of the utilities, like a water account. What, you what we charge on the water bill is what we need to run the water system. When we raise a water rate, we're not raising water rates to build new roads or to build new parks. We're raising water rates to pay for the water system itself. So each of these accounts that you see there uh, are really designed to be self-sustaining. They each have revenue um, that directly relate to that particular service. <coughs> Capital projects funds, again, that's what we're discussing on Tuesday. That's the main, that's the big projects. A lot of what the public's usually interested in is when is this road going to be improved? When is this park going to be built? Uh, that type of thing. And the internal service funds, we don't spend a lot of time on uh, the, uh, with the budget deliberations. That's really just the inner workings of the city. How do we <coughs> pay for um, our computers, our phones, uh, our, our fleet? Uh, this is our insurance uh, program things of that nature that not don't really reflect public services but support the internal operations of the city. Jeff, before you move on, I'd like to ask a question that maybe would be of benefit for people in the public. It has to do with the enterprise funds. So am I correct in understanding that the enterprise funds, the fact that we have enterprise funds, is really a policy decision? They, there's no legal mandate that we have specific enterprise funds if we wanted to, I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to push this. I don't want to do this, actually. But we could blend that all in with the general fund in some fashion. Yeah, I, w I would say you can you can use general fund dollars to support the enterprise funds. So if you take transit, for example, if you wanted to enhance transit service, um, one of the options that you could do is look to raise money in the general fund and move it over to transit to support that. Um, it typically wouldn't work the other way, where you're not going to you're not going to use water rates to to fund something in the general fund. Well, I, I, yeah, I guess I need to be more clear. The fact that we have um, a wastewater enterprise fund is a policy decision. That, that's what I'm, all I'm trying to get at. I, I, I don't want to change it. Sure. I'm just saying that that's a fact. So in the past, somewhere deep in the past, there wasn't such a thing. Correct. And then there was. Yeah. Right. Okay. Theoretically, you could, you could have no wastewater fee to your residents, and you could pay that through the general fund. It would be very rare, but yeah, yes, you're, you're like correct that. in that. Yeah. Okay, I want to um, uh, just take a step back from the budget and, and kind of set the stage and make sure we understand the, the context in which we are operating uh, right now. And, and really, we're in an era of 
robust growth in this community. And if you look from 2010 to 2016, we've grown by 6,500 residents. Um, those are census numbers. Um, that is a very uh, robust pace of growth. And I'll give you a bit of perspective um, so you can understand the magnitude of this growth. Here's using those same, same years and same census data, here's some of the growth of the neighboring uh, communities in eastern Iowa. And inevitably every year when the Census Bureau comes out with their uh, population statistics, you will get a rash of stories on the fastest growing communities in Iowa. Iowa City never makes that list of the fastest growing communities in Iowa. You, you frequently will hear about North Liberties and the Tiffins and the Waukees, which are experiencing phenomenal growth. Um, but one thing I want to make sure that, that you understand is we're adding more people than those communities are adding. And when you hear the stories about the growth in North Liberty and Coralville, um, it's often attached to the challenges with that growth, whether you're talking about housing, whether you're talking about infrastructure, uh, public safety services. Um, the, the challenges that they have are real, but so are the challenges that we have when we're adding 6,500 people in six years. So a bit more perspective uh, that I'll share with you um, is that, uh, you know, in the last two decades, if you look at the 2000s, we only added 5,600. In the 1990s, we added 2,400. Um, we're on pace to add over 10,000, maybe 11,000 residents in the decade that we're in right now, four more years, again, to add to the 6,500. We will probably add more population this decade than we've added in any other decade in Iowa City's history except the 1960s. I don't think we'll probably get there. We could, but in the 1960s, we added 13,407 residents. So robust growth uh, that we are experiencing, and there's a lot of challenges uh, that come with that. Um, and that affects you know, certainly the policy uh, side of things. It also affects, on the staff side, the operational and the service delivery side of things. Um, the service demand challenges I, I just uh, mentioned, uh, I want to just give you um, a sense of where the city as an organization is. So I'm not talking about the external community, I'm talking about your 600 plus employees right now. Um, during this period of robust growth, we've had exceptional change um, in the city organization. So typically when a community is growing as rapidly as we are, you would find that we're also adding employment to um, bolster those services. You know, 6,500 residents need fire protection, they need police protection, they need new parks. Um, but actually during this time, we've reduced our workforce by 5%, which is about 30 positions. And we've done so out of necessity uh, financially. Um, we've also turned over 60% of all our management and our confidential employees. Um, if you look at the department department head positions, we've nearly turned over 100%. Not, not quite there, but we're pretty darn close. And there's a list up there. Clerk, city manager, neighborhood and development services, public works, parks and recreation, transportation services, finance, police, fire. Some of, the some of the people holding those department head positions have been with the city a long time. They were internal promotions, but some are external too. Um, regardless, there's challenges that come when you turn over that 
high a percentage of your management staff. You lose a lot of institutional knowledge, um, and, and that's a, uh, that is a challenge for us. Some departments are completely turned over. If you look at all their management staff, one of our biggest ones is public works. Not only has the department head changed, uh, but each of the operating divisions, the, the leadership in those divisions has changed, sometimes twice in our streets division. So there's a lot of challenges that come with that. And um, uh, I think our staff has responded uh, e extremely well. But this is the equation I talked to our supervisors about when I met with them a couple months ago. This is what I'm telling you. We have a rapidly growing community. We have some shrinking operational resources, and we have high management turnover. That makes for a really difficult um, uh, equation, and that's the backdrop at which we're going to be having uh, our discussions uh, today. So let's jump into um, the budget goals. We have three budget goals that we want to uh, uh, convey um, to you it's, as, as we put this together. Um, one is responding to property tax reform changes while maintaining service levels to meet the growing population and the increasingly diverse population that we have. So it's not only that our population is growing, but the makeup of our community is different and our services need to evolve uh, to reflect uh, the changing demands in our, our community. So uh, a few of the things we've done to address these budget goals, and this isn't just a one-year effort. This has been a goal of ours since 2013 when the state uh, passed the property tax reform. We've really focused on building our reserves. Our reserves are our savings account. Um, in each of those boxes I talked about earlier, um, we've really focused on making sure that we have healthy savings accounts so that we can address sudden drops in revenue, uh, for instance, as, as we'll talk about if the state takes away the backfill. We want to make sure that we are prepared to address that. Uh, with this particular budget, um, we are able uh, to add, and we're recommending that we add some positions in our housing inspections and our police department to bolster some of the core services, and we think uh, uh, do so in a way that reflects the council's uh, strategic plan. We're also making a concerted effort to invest in technology to increase um, the um, uh, ability of the current staff to do their job more efficiently. And there's some examples up there. Uh, we're going to get into a conversation about expanding a downtown camera network, for example, in the police department. Um, that is not, uh, not only, uh, you know, you shouldn't think of that as not only a public safety measure, but one that frees up a lot of time in our police department. And we spend hundreds and hundreds of hours of investigatory work. Uh, uh, on downtown crimes that take place that a camera system could relieve. So when we think about how do we grow our police department to meet the growing population, this is one way. It's not always adding staff. It's also utilizing technology. And I understand that's a very important policy discussion that you all will need to have. But um, that's what we're looking at. And, and one of the things uh, I want to make sure you understand is when we look to the technology, often the times the technology is a one-time investment. Um, as opposed to an, an annual ongoing, or if there is an annual ongoing component, it's a much lower um, cost than, than the, the initial capital outlay. We're in a position right now where I feel much more comfortable making that one-time commitment financially. Um, because there is some uncertainty with property tax reform going forward. 
I have I have hesitation in adding staff because when I hire a staff person, I want to make sure that I can be confident that that we're going to have the resources to per, to support that staff person in five years, in ten years. I don't want to ever hire somebody and in three years say, mm, I'm sorry, we, we we don't have the financial resources to support you. And that's what the property tax reform does. It puts a big cloud of uncertainty uh, over our ability to continue operations at the at the current level. When we can invest in technology, again, that's a one-time outlay that can really help our staff, um, but it, it doesn't give, it doesn't have that same uh, cloud of uncertainty going forward. Uh, the second budget goal, uh, which I know is very important to you, is to make sure that the funds that we are spending reflect your uh, strategic plan and uh, reflect the master plans that we've recently adopted um, that are rooted in great community input. And, and we talk a lot about uh, the bicycle master plan and the parks plan. Obviously, the, the community contributed greatly to those plans. They were widely accepted um, by the city council. We want to make sure that this budget is, is um, uh, going to accomplish what those plans uh, laid out. Uh, and I'd say the same for the uh, um, plans that are in progress right right now, including the climate action plan. So uh, I won't go through the list there. This is a high level. We, we will go through in more detail throughout the day how the budget is addressing your plan. But these are some high level topic areas that we feel our, our budget uh, that we're recommending to you um, addresses. It'll be your decision to you know to, to tell us if if the you know if there are sufficient funding behind each of these things, but um, we can certainly point to uh, areas in the budget where um, we're addressing each of those bullet points. Our third our third um, goal is to maintain an affordable tax and fee environment for our residents and businesses. Uh, this is uh, this probably will always be a goal when we compile a budget, uh, but. Uh, we're very proud, and I hope you are too, that uh, we're looking at a seventh straight year of a property tax rate reduction. We're going to spend some time talking to you about uh, that today. Uh, we're not recommending any new taxes uh, with this uh, particular budget. Uh, we are recommending one fee increase, which is the 5% uh, increase in the water rate, and that's really to reflect the uh, system maintenance needs that we're projecting out over the next five or six years. Um, so when we get into the capital plan and you start to look at the water investments, how many water mains we're replacing and where we uh, are making improvements to our system, we need funding to support those. And uh, it's, it's uh, a 5% increase is, is what we're looking at there. <coughs> and we're not looking at increases in any of other uh, utilities at this time. So what is the cause for concern? I talked about the um, uncertainty going forward. Um, and uh, I apologize in advance, you're going to be sick and tired of me talking about property tax reform by the end of the day. Um, but it absolutely affects everything that we do and we plan for going forward. Um, and I'm going to start now. So the commercial backfill, and uh, this is um, uh, a, a check that the state writes us every year. Uh, so when property tax uh, reform was implemented, uh, commercial properties uh, received a, a tax break, and the state said, don't worry, cities, you're going to be left whole. We're going to write you a check every year. Um, you know, if you've been following the news, and I've shared a lot of articles with you, uh, that 
commercial backfill continues to be in jeopardy, and it looks increasingly likely that it will either be taken away or, or phased out. And so we're going to have to adapt to that. Multi-residential taxability, these are the apartments. Um, you know that um, uh, as part of the reform, um, uh, multi-residential properties receive significant tax break that's f that's still being phased in and will be phased in for uh, another five or more years. Um, that's just something we're going to deal with. Every year, our tax base erodes as they get uh, more um, more savings from their their their, their uh, uh, tax bill. Uh, we have a declining residential rollback, and so this is your single family, how single family properties are, are um, taxed, and we're going to get into that. And then these are some things that are, that are uh, volatile expense items. This is always going to be the case with city budgets. We have expense items that are hard to predict from year to year. Fuel prices. Um, we've benefited from low fuel prices from a budget standpoint uh, for several years, but it, it didn't, you know, it wasn't what, four or five years ago when fuel was, was almost, you know, twice what it is now. In an operation like ours, and you think about all the cars and vehicles that we have on the streets, that can really shoot a hole in your budget. Uh, healthcare is another one. We're going to talk a lot about growth in the city. We've obviously experienced a tremendous amount of growth, and that's really helped us through these first four years of uh, the first few years of uh, the property tax reform. Um, it's not likely that we're going to sustain that growth, and so I want to talk about where I think we're going to end up and and the challenges that that's going to present. And I think we're seeing, uh, particularly in this past year, uh, a, a whole lot of uncertainty in some key industries in town. And this is a more of an indirect impact on the city, but you look at the healthcare industry right now, uh, and uh, we're certainly, with UIHC and Mercy, very dependent on the healthcare um, um, industry in our community. And there's some tough financial times that they're experiencing now, plus a whole lot of uncertainty in the healthcare field. If, if those major institutions, Mercy and UIHC, are not expanding, investing, bringing in new people, uh, if they're cutting back their workforce, that has a ripple effect through our entire economy. That affects housing starts. That affects um, the success of, of local businesses. So that's a, that's a challenge. And certainly the university itself, which is our major economic engine, um, we know the discussions that have been taking place over the last few years at the state level and how the state is funding the university or how the state is more appropriately not funding the university. So what changes might they go under? Um, are they going to be looking at uh, cuts and reductions in workforce? and we have to understand that's not a direct impact on our budget, but it affects how we project growth uh, in our community and reinvestment uh, in our community. So this is the property tax reform slide that um, some of you have seen for several years now. I don't want you to worry so much about the um, narrative at the top. I want to focus on the uh, graphic on the lower right-hand side of the screen. And it's a little difficult to read, but um, what you have um, uh, across the bottom is uh, is your, your years. So it starts over at fiscal year 1980 and goes all the way to fiscal year 2024, which is, which is when the property tax reform is, is fully phased in. And you have three different color, uh, actually four different color lines there. You have the blue line, which has the, uh, the greatest volatility. That's the, um, you can think of as your single family homes. And this is showing what percentage of each of these categories, uh, which percentage of their value is taxed. Um, 
and then you have the green and the red. Uh, green is industrial, red is commercial. You'll see that those lines were, were even at 100% for many years. And the fourth line doesn't come into play until the, the very right-hand side of the graph. That is the multi-residential. Multi-residential never existed prior to property tax reform. Multi-residential, if you owned an apartment building, it was considered to be a commercial property, right? That makes sense. It's probably your job. That's what you do for a living if you owned an apartment building. Um, the state legislature said, no, I, think, uh, I don't think that's really a commercial enterprise anymore. I think it should be more of a residential type of tax structure and that's why you see that purple line eventually meet the blue line the goal of the state was to say that the apartment should be taxed the same way a single-family home is so what you see here is that for a long long period of time at the very top of that graph with the green and the red that commercial properties uh, and industrial properties were taxed at 100% of their value. So if you owned a commercial property that was worth a million dollars, you paid taxes on a million dollars uh, of value. Well, the state said, we want to bring that down uh, as a way to um, help businesses and, and, and encourage reinvestment uh, uh, from businesses. We want to bring that down to 90%. So you can see how it drops down and then it flattens out again. It's going to stay at 90%. Well, that gap, that short little diagonal line, that represents the backfill. That's that check that the state writes us every year, and that's about $1.5 million. I've got a slide after this that'll break that down. So that's where the state told us, you're okay, cities, we're going we're gonna to keep funding you. The purple line um, is that multi-residential line, and you can see on the table to the left that every year um, it goes down about another 3.5%, 4%, um, and the budget that we're talking about right now is 78.75%. Is uh, so if you five years ago owned a million dollar apartment building, you paid taxes on a million dollars worth of value. In this coming budget year, you're only going to pay taxes on 78% of that million dollars, so on your 780,000. Um, so you can see that every year that goes down, every year that's our tax base eroding. We have to make up for that. Uh, somehow. Especially since we've had uh, a great deal of investment in multifamily structures over the past few years and have more coming online. Absolutely. Absolutely. So this is when I talk about my reluctance to add a whole lot of operating, uh, long-term operating commitments, it's because I know that our tax base is going to continue to be chipped away, and I don't know if we're going to have the same resources to support that. I feel comfortable at this point saying the status quo operations, we can continue to fund through this property tax reform. I do feel comfortable in that. I think the steps that were taken when I started this and I said we had to reduce our workforce 5%, I think those steps were really, really important, and they put us in a position position to kind of keep the status quo going forward. Unfortunately, we're not a status quo community. We're a growing community. But I, I have some, some hesitation to, to add, be, particularly because of this multi-residential piece. But yet for the multi-residential piece, you said they are not doing any backfill, right? Correct, yes. And the goal, the state goal, is by 2024 to be just like a residential? Yes, that's correct. So the blue and the purple become essentially one line. 
The blue line is your single-family homes. That's always been very volatile. There's a, a complicated state formula that we use to determine the taxability of single-family uh, residential properties. Um, and you can see it's been as high as 80%. It's been as low as roughly 44%, I think. And we have a slide that'll blow this up, but um, you know, simply put, the lower that number it is, the better it is from a homeowner standpoint. You're paying lower amounts of taxes, but from a budgetary standpoint in the city, we're not getting those same number of resources. So over the last few years, you've seen that slowly go up for us. Well, that's another reason we've been able to get through the first few years of, of property tax reform, because our residents, our, our single family residents, are paying more and more taxes. That's offset some of those losses. This is the first year in works we're actually starting to come back down, and that presents a budgetary challenge to us. Jeff, how this this reduction in the multifamily percentage is that typical for other states? Where how does how does that compare with other states? Yeah, it's really hard to, to compare the um, the tax structure from from state to state. It's it's very different. I I, I don't have. Um, uh, a good answer for you, uh, John, on that. I would say uh, I would find it very uncommon to think, um, I would be surprised, I should say, if um, apartments were treated like residential property in other states. They might be, but I'd be surprised. I think intuitively most people think that that's a commercial enterprise. So I'm going to break down each of these components for you and just give you some, some perspective uh, on, on what that means. So this is the, this, the, the, the backfill. This is that 10% uh, that I've talked about a couple of times. Uh, for us, it means $1.5 million. And it, it's, it's not just uh, $1.5 million um, that, that uh, uh, we can use anywhere we want. It affects all our different levies. So when we tax, when we set our tax rate, it's actually made of many different levies. Um, and we'll get into those. But um, you can see how it impacts each, each, of, each of our different levies. So a general fund takes the biggest hit. And that's uh, you know, almost $800,000 of, of loss that we would see. Transit would take a, a big hit, um, and even the Schmidt District, the uh, Iowa City downtown district, um, uh, because they have a tax levy that you guys have authorized, they would take a hit uh, on the backfill uh, being removed. So what's $1.5 million mean to us? Well, if you wanted to, to pass that along through a property tax reduction, you'd knock off 44 cents on your tax rate. Um, it would mean roughly 15 police officers or firefighters. Uh, and then you can see it also would be uh, the combination of the, all our pools, uh, the animal shelter and the forestry division combined. So it's a huge, huge chunk of money for us. Um, you know, to give you an example of, of uh, you know, on the fire side, we need we need a minimum of 12 firefighters to open up a station. So we lose 1.5 million dollars. That's the equivalent of wiping off a, uh, a a fire station. Now, I'm not saying that's going to happen if the state takes away the backfill. I don't want that to get out there. But I'm just trying to give you some perspective on on what 1.5 million dollars means. Again, what I really want to convey with this budget is. With the, with the backfill going away, I feel comfortable because of the preparations that have been made that we can maintain status quo, but I can't look at the fire chief and say, eh, you know what, we're going to be able to add another fire station in the next few years because obviously we're losing a lot of financial resources. That's the backfill. Let's, let's go to multi-residential. 
um, multi-residential has been incrementally impacting us every year. If you remember that table, it, it's about 4% a year uh, that that impacts us. For fiscal year 19, when the apartments are taxed at 78.75% of their assessed valuation, that means if you applied our tax rate to the difference between the 78% and the 100% that they used to be at, that's another $1.6 million. So now the multi-residential with this budget has become more costly than the commercial backfill. And that number is going to continue to grow year after year after year. Um, to give you some perspective on what $1.6 million means to us, it's pretty similar to the last slide. Um, but uh, it's also what we spent on road resurfacing this year. Our entire road resurfacing budget was $1.6 million this year. Um, that's what we lose. We could double our road efforts um, without that, without those dollars. Jeff, <coughs> sorry if you can't understand me. Can you clarify that 1.6 million is the tax revenue that we have lost on the apartments since property tax reform started? That's, that's an annual number. That's an annual that's number. That's an annual number. Um, Thank you. It's about, I think about, um, I think the first year was roughly 900,000 or so. The second year was about 1.2, 1.3, and this year's going to be 1.6. So you can think of it growing probably several hundred thousand dollars per year. So next year, when I show you this slide, I'd probably guess it's going to be around two million. This is the residential rollback here. Um, again, this is the single family taxability. And uh, you'll see from, from really 2006 roughly up until the current year, it had steadily increased. Um, this is the first year that we've actually seen a, a drop. Um, so we dropped 1.3 points or, or uh, the equivalent of 2.3%. Just another challenge for us um, as, we, uh, as we look to maintain our operations. Okay, my last slide before I turn the uh, presentation over to Simon. Um, how have we navigated this so far? We're, we're a few years in here. How has the city been able to do this? Well, um, largely because of the great, robust growth that we've had. So the chart that you see across the top is the building permit construction value in uh, from 2008 to 2017. So you have a 10-year history here. Um, so when someone applies for a building permit, they have to tell us what the value is of, of whatever they're building, the home, the remodeling project, the, the commercial building. Um, and you can see I broke, I broke it out into kind of four-year segments here. From 2008 to 2011, our community was seeing, uh, on average, $100 million in uh, new construction. Um, that started, we started to experience a large uptick in the 2012 to 2015 era, where that jumped all the way up to 161. Really phenomenal jump there. You think about a 60% growth over those four years. And then 2016 and 17 happened, particularly 2016, where we blew everything out of the water in terms of any records that we would have. We had $388 million in um, uh, value added to our community. We just closed the book on 2017, and uh, we finished just over 200, which again is a phenomenal year looking at this trend. But I can tell you, um, 
I don't believe that we'll be over 200 next year. And just knowing what's coming, and you have to understand there's a huge lag in uh, these values. For example, uh, in December of 2017, um, what put us over the edge was a $44 million permit that was pulled on the Chauncey project. Okay, so usually, particularly with the, the larger projects, you're doing incremental building permits. You can get a foundation permit, then you're going to get kind of a structural steel permit. And so these things take some lag. And just knowing what we have coming in, I think we're going to come back down to normal levels um, at, at, that we should expect uh, going forward, um, which is still going to be strong growth. And we've got some really good projects coming forward. We're just not going to, you know, match the Hilton Garden Inn, the Rise, the Chauncey. You know, those were those were things coming together at one time that it's probably pretty rare that, that uh, we'd see that coming uh, again. There's a lot of narrative on the bottom. I, I'm not going to uh, provide that to you. I think the, 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 the biggest thing I want to stress is this, this uh, fifth bullet point, the last one there. When I talk about maintaining status quo operations, you have to think about 3 to 4% growth per year. If you just think of salaries and benefits, we're, we're looking at 3 to 4% per year um, just to maintain status quo. And so when you talk about losing the state backfill, that's 10% of commercial value that we lose. We talked about the multifamily of 4% a year. Um, and then we talk about the residential rollback that's starting to decline. All of a sudden, we're in a pretty big hole to start. We got we to gotta grow out of those holes. We got to make up for that backfill. We got to make up for the multi-residential. We got to make up for the residential. And then we've got to find another 3 to 4% on top of that to maintain status quo. If we want to add, you got to get on top of that more. So as this growth comes down, there will be a significant challenge just to maintain status quo. I think we'll get there. But to think about expanding services, it's, we're going to be really hard-pressed to do so. I'm, I'm very happy that we can recommend to you a, a couple of new police positions and some housing inspections positions, and I hope over the next few years you're going to see strategically added positions, you know, one here, two here. But uh, there, there's not going to be a time in which I'm coming forward in the next few years that say, hey, we can add six or seven positions in a given year. I, I just don't think we'll get there. So that's the backdrop at which we're at. The, the rest of the presentation, Simon's going to walk you through some of the particulars on the revenue. Ashley's going to walk you through particulars on the expenditure side. And then I'll kind of provide a wrap up before we get into the department presentations. Hey, Jeff. Jeff. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Jeff, before you move forward, you talked about um, going back down to levels of like kind of average growth. Are you talking about that 161 average level? Um, yeah, I, I, think, um, I think that's probably realistic for next year. I, w I would think. Um, you know, it's a shot. It's kind of a shot in the dark, but um, I think we'll be at that 150 to 170, 175. Uh, we've got some 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 decent sized projects coming forward that would push us there. Um, but but again, you know, it's not just the big projects. You know, last year we had 150 new single family homes built. It doesn't sound like a lot, but that's that's quite a bit. And if you you know uh, you multiply out what the value of those are, that that adds quite a bit too. And that's why I talked about earlier. 
when key industries in our community are facing uncertainty, if they're not hiring, if they're not replacing positions, we're not going to see those same single-family starts. We're not going to see new apartment buildings built uh, because there's there's that uncertainty in those key positions. So that's going to contribute to, uh, I think, um, um, a declining growth. But make no mistake, um, you know, if we're above 100, 100 million, I think we're doing we're doing pretty good. Jeff, I wanted to ask about recent uh, the recent sorry the recent enactment at the congressional level of federal tax cuts. And I'm quite aware that many states around the country and, and some cities, I don't know how many, have been trying to conjure up creative alternatives in response to uncertainties generated by that congressional set of congressional tax cuts. I wonder if you have any thoughts about what we know is going to filter down our way with regard to those tax cuts, and then whether you've seen anything in terms of innovative ideas about yeah there's certainly sponsors. a lot of a lot of conversation about that but um I, I don't have any conclusions that I could, you know, I could share with you at this time. I think there is a lot of uncertainty. Um, I think it's more so at the state level, as you look at the questions of federal deductibility and those types of things, um, and how the state's going to respond to that. Um, um, but you know, I'd be happy to, to to try to pull together some information from council on that. Um, there's a lot of conversations with cities right now, but I, I'm not sure there's a clear picture going forward, but we'll, I'll, I'll follow up with you on that. All right. Uh, moving deeper into revenues, uh, Jeff uh, discussed a lot of the factors that affect our revenue mix, so uh, now we'll move into uh, what that revenue mix actually is. Simon, just, just to be clear, you're Simon Andrew, Oh, right? I'm sorry. Yes, I should start and, with you know, that. I'm Simon Andrew, assistant to the city manager. I uh, appreciate uh, everybody coming today. This is by far the biggest turnout we've had for a budget work session since I've been here, and I think it's fantastic that uh, the public came out for it. Uh, so the first slide here is uh, all funds revenue. So this covers all of the boxes on the previous slide that Jeff showed you with all of the different accounts, all the different funds we have. So this is all of those funds uh, other than the internal service funds. Um, as you can see, uh, very heavily reliant on property taxes. Uh, and again, Jeff noted the, the need to have an increase of 4 to 5% a year just to maintain status quo services. Uh, and so you see in those property taxes, we're a little above that and um, we'll get into uh, the reasons for that in a little bit here. Um, overall, across all of our funds, we're down about 3% uh, compared to last year, and this largely has to do with uh, both a decrease in intergovernmental revenue, um, largely due to uh, bus purchases, a federal grant that came in uh, the 2018 revised budget, and um, some differences in uh, bonding uh, versus using uh, general fund dollars for some capital projects, and that is in the uh, other financial sources line. Uh, so probably a little more a digestible way to look at that, uh, those numbers, is this pie chart here. Again, you see um, across all of our funds, we are uh, heavily reliant on property taxes. Uh, the next biggest uh, slice of that pie is charges for services. So those are your water bills, your uh, sewer bills, parking permit fees, uh, recreational programs. Uh, next biggest uh, piece of our revenue mix is intergovernmental revenue. Uh, as I noted, this includes the, the federal intergovernmental revenue is the biggest piece of that, um, as well as the road use tax funds and local 2080 agreements for services. Um, and we get into much smaller drops off significantly after that. Uh, you get into uh, animal adoption fees, debt sales, um, hotel motel taxes, et cetera. 
so again, as Jeff noted, we focus mostly on the general fund uh, at this uh, point in our budget deliberations. It's where uh, you all have the most discretion and uh, it's where uh, we fund our core services that the public uh, really identifies as our core services, police, fire, uh, parks and recreation. Uh, very heavily uh, relying on property taxes and this is largely due to uh, constraints at the state level. The state really dictates to us what we can use as a revenue source and how those um, are structured. Um. The next biggest slide, uh, the next biggest slice in that again is intergovernmental uh, revenue. Uh, so our overall property tax receipts over the last decade are on this slide. Um, again, you can see that we've had a little over a four and a half percent increase as compared to last year. Um, but if you look back over the several previous years, if you keep in mind that we need three to four percent to uh, maintain status quo services, you'll see several years in there um, where it was below three to four percent um, or even a negative number. And that is when we were uh, starting our response to property tax reform. That's when we started um, reducing our workforce uh, almost exclusively through attrition uh, that Jeff noted, um, uh, getting that uh, uh, total employee count down about 5% and uh, doing some other things, debt restructuring, um, to prepare for uh, property tax reform. So you see in those uh, 2013 to 2015 years um, is when we really focused on controlling costs. Uh, in 2019, um, part of that increase above the three to four percent is uh, additional resources devoted to uh, strategic plan initiatives uh, that council uh, wants to see and um, more transfers to capital project funds to catch up on uh, some deferred maintenance. Uh, property tax rate trend, uh, as Jeff noted as well, this is our seventh consecutive uh, recommended decrease in the property tax levy. Um, but if you uh, think of this chart in um, concert with the slide right before it, um, you'll note that even in most of those years where we were decreasing our rate, um, that people were still paying more in dollars on their property taxes. And that's related both to valuations and that residential rollback figure. Uh, so this is the first year in those seven years that both the residential rollback figure went down and our levy rate went down. So people will be paying less, assuming that their valuation stayed the same, they will be paying less in real dollars as compared to the previous year. And it's important to keep in mind the overlapping property tax rate too, and there's another chart uh, that we'll get to on the next slide. Um, but of course, uh, residents uh, don't pay property taxes just on our revenue. Uh, the three biggest slices of that are uh, the city, the county, and the school district. And we should be mindful moving forward um, that of the uh, property tax rates of those other um, of those other institutions. So we know that both the school district and uh, Kirkwood uh, have significant facilities needs and uh, their property tax rate um, will likely increase in the years going forward um, to help fund those. And those are things that um, our community really wants to see and that uh, city council support, uh, supported, especially in the school district's bond levy. Um, so as uh, those levies go up, we will wanna be mindful of uh, making ours go down or as best we can uh, balancing out that increase in the other levies so residents don't see a dramatic increase in their overall uh, property tax bill. Uh, the line across here, now the percentages on the right are a pretty narrow window so that line's probably a little misleading but um, you can see our percentage of the overall total of uh, the property tax levy um, and so we're down in the, the low 40s now but as those others increase uh, we will want to account for that. 
so other major revenue sources, in most of our slides you'll see us project out a couple of years. Um, on this one, this is just the past four years of actuals. Uh, we uh, budget for these very conservatively, uh, given the uncertainty in these uh, revenue sources and uh, the, the, the volatility uh, that is included in them. Uh, hotel motel tax, you'll see, is increasing pretty steadily um, over the last several years, and we expect that to increase quite a bit in the next few years. Um, between um, 2012 and 2019, a uh, 91% increase in hotel rooms in Iowa City is expected. Uh, and so that includes uh, hotels that have recently come online, such as the Hilton Garden Inn, um, but we also have Hyatt Place, the Element, uh, the Chauncey, that will have uh, hotel rooms added to our community's inventory as well. Uh, gas and electric excise tax, uh, this was, uh, this replaces property taxes that used to be charged on uh, utility companies. Um, it does float with valuations in our property tax rate, um, but it is uh, meant to account for uh, what the property taxes would have been for those utility companies if it was charged on the property and not on the, the service delivery. And then the final one on this slide is the utility uh, franchise tax. Uh, this is a tax that we charge on utility bills. Uh, currently, Iowa City charges 1% on utility bills. Um, this was originally passed um, to help fund Fire Station 4 on the east side of town. Um, this floats quite a bit with uh, the weather. So you'll see in fiscal year 2014, there was a spike there that was a, a very cold winter. Um, and so uh, utility usage went up quite a bit that year. So again, a volatile uh, uh, revenue source. Uh, council can go up to 5% on that. Um, and you'll see on a, a subsequent slide later what other cities have their rates currently at. Uh, that one does not need to go to a referendum. Council can um, act on their own to uh, set that anywhere between zero and 5%. Let me follow up on that. Sure. Am I correct in understanding that we could increase it to, I don't know, 1.5%, 1.6%, 1.7%? I believe that's correct, that it doesn't have to be in whole number increments, but I'd, I'd have to follow up on that. But yeah, my understanding is anywhere between zero and five. Uh, cable franchise revenue. Uh, so these uh, revenues have been declining over the last several years. Uh, you know, you have uh, fewer subscribers in a lot of cases. Um, our city franchise agreement uh, with Mediacom expires in July 1st of this year. Uh, there was a, a state law change in 2007-2008 timeframe um, that uh, allowed uh, cable companies to move to a state franchise agreement under certain circumstances. Um, so after our agreement expires, in July of this year, Mediacom will have the option of moving to the state franchise, um, which we expect that they will. And so on top of this declining revenue that you see here, um, we would expect a, another 10% decline on top of that. Um, there are other revenue sources in addition to the uh, cable franchise fee that we get, um, which includes pass-through funding for public access television and um, uh, public uh, educational and government programming, uh, what's called PEG programming, uh, and you see dollar amounts there, uh, those will both completely go away on top of uh, the dollars that you see in the chart there. Uh, the dollars that you see on the chart are what fund our cable TV operation um, and uh, you know help us provide those services. Uh, the the pass-through funding uh, we just uh, send on to public access television. Uh, we have um, been in discussions with them since uh, the state law changed, um, a number of meetings, um, uh, hoping to prepare for this uh, eventuality that we knew would uh, be coming. Um, so again, this, uh, this revenue source is uncertain at best moving forward. 
All right, so those are our major revenue sources. I'm going to move into a little bit of comparative analysis. There are only a couple of slides here, but uh, this compares us to other cities on some of these revenue sources. Uh, so you see the property tax levy rate comparison. Uh, and we have two columns here, both uh, our high point in 2012 compared to where we are today. Uh, in 2012, we were a penny off being the second highest in uh, the state amongst the larger communities. And as you can see, we've moved uh, down to the middle of the pack here. Um, we have had the, the largest percent decrease over that time period. And again, that's a, a combination of um, the, that rollback increasing of our robust growth. Our, as our tax base grows, we can charge each property owner a little bit less and still get uh, the same or more revenue, um, as well as valuations increasing. We've seen our uh, property values in Iowa City uh, increase substantially over that time frame. Simon, can I can I jump sure. in and make one point here? You keep in mind that n no city is is equal uh, with with property tax rates. Um, it, it, we show you a ranking, but you have to understand a lot goes into the ranking. More goes into on the revenue side, which is Simon's going to talk about. So some of these cities have different revenue sources uh, than we do. Um, you know, might have gambling revenue. You might have sales tax revenue, which we don't, which allows them to have lower rates. And in some cases, they don't offer the same level of services that we offer. So uh, our goal is not to get down to a North Liberty or even a Coralville. Um, we won't get down that far. Um, we have a a professional fire staff that's fully paid. We don't run a volunteer department. We have a human rights office. We have a senior center. We have more services that we offer the community. And unless we want to start peeling services back, which I don't think we do, we're never going to get down that far. So um, understand that this is a this is a comparative analysis, but we're not trying to convey to you that we have to get to a certain level. It's a lot more complex than just the numbers that you see there. Absolutely. Thank you. A utility franchise tax, as I mentioned here, uh, several cities of our uh, uh, comparison group uh, don't have the franchise fee at all. Um, us in Coralville are at 1%, uh, and the other cities that have it are a little bit higher. <clears throat> a couple of those have increased in uh, recent years. Uh, I believe Cedar Rapids and Dubuque both uh, increased theirs, um, and that goes to uh, gas and electric uh, bills largely. Uh, local option sales tax, so uh, Iowa City as Des Moines uh, metro areas pursuing their local option sales tax last fall and the spring, um, we could potentially be the last uh, large community uh, in the city, or in the state rather, that does not have a local option sales tax. Uh, you can see the uh, estimated receipts for FY18 here, and as Jeff mentioned, this is largely um, what informs that uh, property tax rate slide for a lot of those other communities. Uh, for instance, Dubuque and Ames down there, uh, 50 percent and 60% for property tax relief, respectively. Um, it, it gets their levy rate down uh, quite a bit. Um, but as Jeff said, that's not you know something that we're communicating as a goal of ours. Um, but uh, this certainly does allow uh, quite a bit of flexibility for um, cities. Uh, you'll see in Cedar Rapids, they have uh, an immense amount of road construction and uh, public infrastructure work going on right now that is uh, funded from the $18 million a year that they get from local option. Uh, we would project ours to be 
in the $10 million range um, if we were to have a local option, and that's for the city share, and that's largely dependent on what other uh, cities or if the unincorporated county uh, pass theirs as well. It goes into a countywide pot that's then distributed um, largely by population. So, Simon, is there any restrictions for local option sales tax funds? I mean, could we just use it for general funds dollars if we chose to do so? Yeah, absolutely. And that's essentially what property tax relief is. It, it goes into the general fund and um, that effectively comes off your levy rate. Uh, when you uh, place it on the ballot, you have to uh, define what your uh, purposes would be. But yes, you do have a great deal of flexibility as to what those purposes would be. Uh, you could even identify um, you know, a general fund service that you wanted to use it for, uh, and then it would you know, replace those property tax dollars within the general fund. Um, One thing I would mention, Simon, with that, um, you see that they have sunset dates. Now, you can pass a local option sales tax that goes on for in, in perpetuity that, that does not have a sunset. Um, typically, especially the first time a community passes it, they're, they're probably not going to give you a, a blank check forever. You know, they're going to say, let's try this for five years, and then, you know, maybe after that it becomes uh, in perpetuity. But if you have a sunset on your local option sales tax, you are not going to want to use those for operational dollars, okay? You're not going to want to pass a local option sales tax and, and open a fire station with those dollars, because if the community does not support that renewal, in five years or 10 years, then all of a sudden you have no money to support that fire station. So typically what you'll see is, um, you know, you see street repairs, you see infrastructure, parks, you see capital investments that are done with local option sales tax, even a, um, a property tax relief, because if those dollars expire, there's not a sudden loss of service to the community. You're maybe not repairing as many roads, but you're still picking up the trash. You're still doing those types of things. So if you're thinking about local option sales tax and you want to have that discussion, I would just very much urge you not to focus on operational services uh, if you're going to push for a sunset date. Yeah, that's a very good point. And um, to that uh, to that point, uh, Cedar Rapids, the first local option that they had in recent years was in the 2000 timeframe. They had a one year that was 100% for parks, and they made huge investments in their parks and pools in the community. Um, that uh, after the public saw the benefit of that, then I think that they were more likely to pass it. Uh, they did have a couple of votes that failed uh, in recent years. They had very complicated um, allocations of the funds when they moved to 100% street repair infrastructure that is something that generally the, the community can get on board with. So uh, they sort of followed that path that uh, Jeff was describing there. And that is my last slide. I'm going to turn it over to Ashley for expenditures. Okay. Well, good morning. My name is Ashley Monroe. I'm the Assistant City Manager, and welcome, everybody. Um, so I'll just take a quick look at the general fund expenditures. Here's a pie chart identifying uh, the various expenses that we that we have from the general fund. Uh, as you can see, we have a fairly labor-intensive organization, so personnel takes up 72% of the general fund. So as we introduced earlier, the police, parks, fire, um, personnel, our, our general offices, finance, all come out of the general fund. And we also have uh, the next biggest piece of the pie, services are for 18%. Uh, this includes you know, our fire and casualty insurance, equipment rentals, uh, professional and consultant services, um, 
some of our internal services, so IT, uh, risk management, central services provides um, mail uh, and, and other services. I'll go to the next one. I'll explain a couple more. So here we have a chart showing the, the proposed budget and the percentage change. So personnel, uh, as we've said, keeps up with that 3 to 4% uh, just have an annual increase as a, as a status quo kind of approach to, to our hiring and our staffing. Um, we have our services, which I explained prior. Uh, you see, again, just that uh, generally status quo increase in that amount. Supplies, we try to keep at a, at a moderate spending level. Um, in the last couple of years, we've tried to reduce the, the amounts that we're, that we're using for supplies. Um, you know, that, that just goes to general operations uh, materials. Capital outlay uh, is different than our capital expenditures, so our, our capital uh, investments, I guess, or improvements you, you'll talk about on Tuesday. Uh, we see a decrease here, and that's um, that includes things like vehicle purchases, uh, small equipment, maybe some office furniture, so we've reduced those over, over this year for our proposed budget. Um, we have the contingency, it's 1% of all expected expenditures, so just laying out a portion of what we might expect uh, we need if expenses go beyond their budgeted amounts. We have our debt service, the explanation for that reduction, that 60% reduction in, in debt service from the general fund. Uh, we had quite a few university homes, those are uh, for that program, and they were held for a little while last year, I guess. Um, so we've sold those properties, and the proposed amount just indicates that we're expecting uh, less expense as far as the university program. I need so, to apologize for some typos sure. on this slide, clearly. Oh, okay. With that total down there at the bottom. Okay. <laughs> well, our... Uh, so we have our, we have several um, public pension systems. So I'll start with the public safety pension contributions. This is the municipal fire and police retirement system of Iowa, shown here on this chart. Um, it's governed at the state level, so uh, the city doesn't have any say in what the employee uh, contributions are, um, so we're capped as to what we I guess we're, we're required by state to put in a certain amount of, of money into the pension system. So um, we've had a contribution rate over the last couple of years that's fairly steady. Um, it varies year to year. 17 contribution was 25.92, 18, 25.5, sorry, 25.68, 19's expected contribution rate is about 26.02. So you see it's, it's fairly steady, but still varies. And over time, you've seen in this chart, um, you know, changes in that percentage as to what we've had to contribute. So um, some years, as in 2014, we had to contribute significantly more. Um, it's gone down quite a bit in, in those percentages, and it's kind of ramping back up at this point. So this also <laughs> fluctuates as the market fluctuates. So as, uh, as returns decrease, we're expected to put in more regardless of, of what the 
uh, market returns dictate. Our next one is IPERS. This is the, the general um, employees, non-police and, and fire. Uh, pensions and uh, as you see the contributions here have also increased uh, this is a 60 40 split between the city and employee contributions to the pension system and both systems despite the volatility and what we pay are fairly well funded at the state level so um, they're in they're in good shape despite the increase in what we have to pay each year So we have something uh, people have interest in as far as our personnel changes that are coming up. I have some detail here. We've talked about adding two new police officer positions. Uh, one of them is going to be specifically for um, neighborhood response and a downtown liaison. So that's one of one of those positions. We also have the promotion of an officer to the street crimes action team. Um, they'll be a working sergeant. We have housing inspections, so we're adding two new um, inspector positions. The 0.1 increase to that from 6.2 to 6.3, or I'm sorry, 8.3. Uh, we moved a, a small portion of an ins a building inspector from the housing authority to accurately reflect um, our costs. We also have landfill. This is a little, uh, little tricky, there's just a slight change in that position. We moved some customer service representatives around um, between refuse and landfill. They, they split uh, costs for customer service as well as a superintendent position. So uh, when we reduced one of those positions, there was a little bit of a balance that, that bumped that up. We also have uh, some changes in finance uh, through finance administration, information technology, and accounting. So uh, last year we had added a position and reclassified some, and so the, these changes this year are are better reflective of of what finance positions what finance positions are needed. So we have a. A new budget analyst slash internal auditor. We're going to fully implement a, an internal auditing program this in fiscal year 19, and then we're eliminating uh, one position in IT that was uh, part and due in part to that reclassification, and then the accounting position um, is the elimination of a portion of a part-time, or I should say, 0.6 percent of a full-time equivalent. Okay. So I'll also talk a little bit about debt service. Uh, the state of Iowa limits us to no more than 5% of our total assessed property value um, to be issued. So Iowa City is projected to be at 1.09 of total valuations, so that means our, our total debt. Um, Iowa City policy specifies also that debt service levy should not be more than 30% of our total city levy in any fiscal year. So we're at 19.9% of the total levy. We have 
Uh, debt restructuring and elimination continuing to be a critical component of our strategy, and uh, another one or two more years of debt service levy reductions are projected. So uh, as we've seen a decrease in the property tax levy, a, a good portion of the reduction in that levy comes from a reduction in the debt service levy. Um, Debt service is just our annual principal and interest payments on our general obligation and, and TIF um, bonded debt. So um, in this in this chart here, we're just taking a look at the ratio from um, the amount we're allowed to borrow versus the debt that we've incurred. So our outstanding debt. So, and that ratio has shrunk significantly, so that um, blue amount is the, the amount we're allowed to borrow, and, and then the red is the portion that we have outstanding. So we've reduced that quite a bit, and we're seeing pretty static at 21.9% uh, of, of our limit. Okay. We have um, a bond rating is is helpful, is ex especially helpful when you're trying to account for um, expenses incurred when you're borrowing money. So we work with Moody's. It's a third-party independent um, group that uh, we pay to assess our financial uh, situation, and but. Primarily, their job is to, to assess these communities, but they're working for the investors, so there's no um, you know, stake that they have in, in politics or um, within our community at, at all. But we like to work with them so that we get an independent rating, um, an open and honest evaluation, if you will. So we prepare, when we, when we talk to Moody's, we talk to them a couple of times a year or at least once a year. Uh, and so when we do that, we're preparing by just taking note of all of our assets, our, um, our, our current debt, our planned expenditures, what's going on in the community. We talk with them. Uh, we prepare financial information for them. They go back and analyze it and come back to us with the rating. So we have a AAA bond rating, uh, which nationally is as you see, is quite difficult to do. So uh, not many communities, it's on the chart, 219 nationally hold that uh, rating. And then in Iowa, we have, we're one of three uh, communities that hold a AAA bond rating. So us, uh, West Des Moines and Clive uh, currently hold that status. That's it. Okay, I'm going to take us back through the home stretch. Uh, I know we're running a little late. We always do, um, but I appreciate uh, your patience here. I'm going to kind of wrap some uh, some of this up. We've got about a dozen more slides or so. Um, the enterprise funds, again, these are the business account funds uh, that um, uh, that we operate. And I, and I think from a policy standpoint, one of the things you want to key on is our fund uh, unassigned fund balance. That's the uh, second column from the right-hand side. I want to point a few things out to you. Um, there's been a lot of discussion on transit, um, and I think the council's anxious as as a staff to really dive deep into transit and, and and try to make some changes that will better serve the community. I want to point out that we have a 5.6 million dollar fund balance in transit. 
Um, and each year uh, we have uh, been running a, a surplus in our in our transit accounts, which means we're bringing in more revenue than we're uh, putting back into the system. So this fund balance continues to grow. Um, I believe for the uh, uh, current year, uh, our surplus is projected to be around 500,000 or so. Um, but we're doing so intentionally. Um, we certainly realize that that surplus could potentially be deployed to providing higher levels of service. Um, but uh, as some of you know, if you've been through our transit building, we have a, a very old um, uh, transit facility that is inadequate. Um, it um, We don't have room for expansion out at that site. Bringing on new buses would be a challenge. We don't have the capacity to store those buses. We don't have the maintenance facility to take on new buses. Um, it was built on an old dump site and we spend a lot of money um, uh, 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 counteracting the effects of building on a dump site. Um, there's a lot of settling out there. It's just a, a poor facility. Some of the council members um, toured the public works facility about a year ago and um, the transit's out at that, at, at that same location. A new transit facility is probably, you're probably looking at about a $15 million expenditure. And so, um, you know, in, in, if you look back, you know, in history, um, typically the federal government would help you out with a transit facility and it'd be maybe a 70-30 cost share with the federal government picking up 70 or an 80-20 cost share. Um, and we've always thought that you know, we needed these four or five million dollars to, to pursue a, a federal grant when the opportunity comes up. Unfortunately, in this day and age, federal grants of that magnitude are rare and they're extremely hard to come by. Um, and so it's becoming increasingly likely that we're going to have to pay for a larger portion of that ourselves, if not the whole uh, transit building ourselves. So um, five million is not going to cut it. Uh, we need to continue to have a strategy for putting money aside for uh, a new transit building. Uh, frankly, it's needed now, um, but we're not within, you know, we're, uh, while we have land um, secured on our public works campus for the transit building, we're not close to being able to come to you with a, a plan to, to build a new facility. So we just have to keep that in perspective as we start to have transit discussions, and that's a policy decision. How much do you want to save each year for a new transit facility versus how much do you really want to pour back into the service itself for the, for the residents? A couple other things I'll point out. You see some really high fund balances in operations like wastewater and water. Um, those are healthy balances, but you need those. As you look at the capital plan on Tuesdays of the water and the wastewater, you'll notice that a lot of the capital investments are millions of dollars. So having a $13 million uh, waste excuse me, wastewater uh, fund balance is nice, but when you're talking about, you know, several projects of the four or five million dollar range, you'll see why we have that type of fund balance. Uh, the last one I'll point out is the stormwater uh, down at the, at the bottom there. That's a little low. Um, that's a little lower than I would like uh, to see that. Um, ideally, that number would be um, would be over a million dollars. You know, a typical stormwater improvement project that might come up. It wouldn't. It, you know, it, it could be several hundred thousand dollars. Um, and um, while we don't have, you know, anything. 
immediately pressing that we're not addressing. Um, stormwater continues to be a major challenge and will continue uh, to become, uh, uh, will continue to be a major challenge going forward. So, you know, in the coming years, I think the staff's going to have to look hard at, the, at that stormwater account and really um, come to you with some plans on, on how we use those dollars and potentially look at a rate increase to, um, uh, to get that balance up to a, a, a more comfortable level. Just co quickly compare water and sewer rates. Um, Iowa City's kind of right smack in the middle there. If you combine water and sewer, um, we always compare ourselves with the 10 largest cities in Iowa, and then we throw in North, uh, North Liberty and Coralville just for some comparative purposes there. Um, you know, uh, water and, and sewer rates are, are really so dependent on the uh, major, you know, kind of the treatment operations. Iowa City is extremely fortunate that we have two relatively um, new uh, treatment facilities in our water, in our wastewater. So w we don't see uh, a whole lot of, you know, uh, major growth in our rates going forward. I think we're going to be pretty steady. Obviously Obviously, with this budget, we're recommending a 5% water increase, um, but we've got really good facilities, and frankly, on the wastewater side, you know, a, a brand new facility that we didn't have to have the ratepayers pay for. You know, we were able to leverage flood uh, funds to, to pay for that. Um, you know, if you look at the communities on the higher side, it's likely that they are making major investments into their treatment plants, and that was the way they paid for them. Um, if you look at the communities on the lower side, I know Coralville being one, they have some major projects coming up in which you'll probably see their rates escalate pretty quickly as they have to pay for a new treatment facility. So again, the fee changes that we're talking about, um, the only one is the water, uh, 5%. Uh, we are also recommending, if you're familiar with uh, this, we, we do have an option on our utility bills right now uh, where if you sign up for SurePay, which is a direct deduction from your checking account, that you get a dollar credit on your, on your bill. Uh, this was done many years ago um, to incent people to sign up for that. Uh, it's about an $80,000 roughly expense for us uh, to do that. And uh, we don't feel like that incentive is needed uh, anymore. Um, certainly, we want people to sign up for that, but um, eighty thousand uh, dollars is a considerable amount of money, and uh, we just think it's time to to re re remove that. Um, not really related to the budget, but one thing we're we're anxious to roll out this next year, uh, pretty shortly here, is a voluntary donation program for, on our utility accounts for our low-income assistance uh, uh, efforts. Um, so you may have seen this on a on an electric bill or a gas bill, where you can check a box and donate a dollar or five dollars to a a low-income um, uh, uh, program. Uh, we've never done that, and we're going to give that a try and hopefully increase the amount of voluntary resources is coming in to pay for discounts to um, uh, those users of our utilities that are having trouble paying their bills. Um, currently, the city, uh, the users, uh, so we all pay water rates, we just use those um, uh, to, to pay for it. So to the extent that we can get people to voluntarily donate funds for this cause, it's going to be a relief on, on all the uh, utility users in the community. And the last point, while not included in this budget, in the last budget that the council approved, um, we did change the waste uh, fees. And so as of January 1st, just uh, last week, there's a now a new $2 monthly charge on your utility bill for the yard waste program and the, and the compost program. 
um, that replaces the $25 stickers or the $1.50 bags that you had to buy before. Talk about property tax impact. Um, we use uh, an example of a tax on a $100,000 residential valuation. $100,000 is easy to multiply, so if you have a $300,000 home, you can just <coughs> multiply these numbers by three. Uh, fiscal year 18 is the current year. Fiscal year 19 is what we're looking at. And so you can see on a $100,000 home, for the city taxes itself, um, a resident is going to pay $30 in less taxes to the city. And there's a couple of things um, going into that. One is that rollback number is going down. Okay, so we, we drop that so that you're paying taxes on a smaller percent of your valuation. And then our tax levy goes down on top of that. So that's why you see a $30 reduction. Uh, the commercial property side is is uh, quite a bit different. Uh, this reflects the impact of that um, uh, property tax reform. So if you look before property tax reform was implemented in fiscal year 12, on the far left side of this chart, a $500,000 commercial property was paying just shy of $9,000 in taxes. There was a tax uh, break or um, uh, benefit extended through property tax reform where they're only paying 90% uh, of their value, not 100% of their value. And so you can see over time, a, a com between a combination of the, the state reform changes and our property tax levy coming down, that that same valued commercial property is now only paying $7,200 in taxes to the city. Now, what I would say to you is this is a very simplified graph for illustrative purposes, but there's probably not a commercial property in town that did not experience some valuation growth. So that property, if it was valued at $500,000 in 2012, it may be valued at $700,000 this year. So those taxes would go up as that valuation occurs. Uh, we like to show this graph um, because we try to represent what um, all the changes collectively that we're making in this budget, I'm sure that, that we're proposing in this budget, uh, would, would, how they would impact a typical residential user. And so you see from fiscal year 18 to 19, the two far right uh, columns on the side, you see there's the $30 less in property taxes. The stormwater fee stays the same. The refuse, we're accounting for that $2 charge that just took impact, so that goes up, and then uh, the water has a 5% increase. So uh, the typical user is experiencing a 0.6% increase um, in what they're paying the city through the various utilities and, and property taxes. I think for a lot of users, it's actually going to be zero or less, because if you were buying yard waste bags or if you were buying the stickers uh, on the side that was never reflected in this chart before, where it is where it is now, so it's really a no growth um, uh, or, or actually a negative growth uh, impact to our uh, typical residential households. Okay, getting into uh, some highlights here uh, to wrap things up. Um, we have, uh, again, experienced really strong growth that has, has enabled us to really prepare for the uh, property tax reform. Uh, over the last few years, we've been able to establish nearly $5 million in an emergency reserve uh, that provides further cushion for us, uh, should there be sudden drops in revenue uh, or uh, other opportunities that the council wants to uh, pursue. 
Uh, our operational reserve funds are, are really strong, and you know, we talked about those with the enterprise fund. Uh, with the general fund, we target a 25 to 35% reserve. And um, we currently, with this proposed budget, we're sitting at just, just shy of 36, so we're a little bit actually above the high end uh, of this particular budget. Um, and we've been above our policy target the last several years, and what that's enabled us to do is direct some dollars to some really important community initiatives. And so I wanted to stress that to you. As we're getting surplus funds in, we've not only created the reserve fund, but we've created opportunities to fund some things that we felt we were going to be out of reach for many years. Uh, last year it was the Public Works facility, uh, $2.5 million to enable us to finally pull the trigger on that long-needed um, uh, Public Works building. Um, this year we're able to use, uh, we budgeted $2.8 million as a contribution to the Behavioral Access Center. We're, we're able to do that in cash because of the surplus that we have. Uh, that's a phenomenal position to be in, to be able to really come up with those types of one-time capital dollars uh, for a project that is widely um, uh, being called for in the community and supported in the community. So this budget does have those dollars in there. And we've also been um, able over the last few years to start contributing uh, uh, to a affordable housing fund. You know, this council created uh, the affordable housing fund. And over the last three years, there's been nearly $2 million that have gone in there in local funds. And that does not count the million in, that came from the rise. Um, so this budget has $650,000 from the general fund. Uh, so did the last budget. And then uh, previous to that, we bonded $600,000 for the um, project that's being constructed in Towncrest right now. So there's the, that's uh, roughly the $1.9 million. Um, and then again, the, the funds from the, the sale to the RISE group uh, is on top of that. We have increased the general fund transfer to the CIP, particularly trying to um, get to where I think we need to be in order to aggressively implement the bike plan and the parks plan. Um, we hit the uh, the, the uh, tax decrease, certainly a highlight uh, for us there. And then we've been able to really strategically focus some investments in, in staff in a couple of key areas there. Um, I'm not going to go through. We've got three slides. This is in the transmittal letter in the budget. I'm not going to go through each of these bullet points, um, but I wanted to give some illustrative examples to you about how we how this budget reflects um, your strategic plan, understanding that your strategic plan is going to be tweaked here in the coming months. Um, but strong local economy, um, you know, we continue to invest in the local foods. Um, the council created that local foods line item a couple years ago. That's still in there. Uh, community gardens has been important. This budget uh, calls for enhancements uh, uh, to three locations. Uh, when we look at the uh, urban core section, a couple things I'll point out there is a, uh, uh, the bike plan implementation. Uh, you're going to see a lot of bike lanes striped next year, uh, particularly on Dodge and, and, and Governor, two major uh, bike lanes. They'll be our first buffered bike lanes in the community, uh, which I think is exciting. Um, and we've got uh, um, a small amount set aside to reestablish the building change facade program in downtown, uh, which uh, we've dropped for a couple years. And I think I think we, we'd like to bring that back, and we'll talk about that uh, during the economic development section later today. 
sustainability. Uh, there's a whole page dedicated to sustainability here. In addition, we have a capital fund dedicated to um, whatever comes out of the climate plan. Uh, we've really got some aggressive energy efficiency measures that we're going to be pursuing in our facilities. You see some lighting, some boiler replacements. Uh, we've got a couple of tree planting corridors that are reflected here on Camp Cardinal Boulevard and Lower West Branch Boulevard. Um, one of the things I'm really excited about is we're creating a natural areas maintenance program for the first time. You know, we've we've always had a lot of natural areas, Hickory Hill and Ryerson and uh, those types of facilities, but we've never really had a, a a a dedicated program to maintain those. We've just done the best we can. Well, we've you authorized some funds to go through a natural areas um, study. Uh, that plan is currently being finalized. You will eventually get a copy of it, but it was far enough along for us to really create a program uh, to where we say we might not be able to do everything we want to do, but we can really start to focus on on properly managing our natural areas. Um, one thing I do want to mention there uh, on the previous slide is the landfill gas study. Um, you've all looked at the greenhouse gas report in, in, in uh, previous months. Um, you know that our biggest generator of greenhouse gases is the landfill. And so if we're going to get serious about attacking greenhouse gas emissions, we really have to focus on, on how, how to better utilize the, the, the gas that's out there. And there's some funds in the landfill budget to do that, to start that process. Healthy neighborhoods, um, probably the biggest thing here, uh, two biggest things is the, the, the contribution to the affordable housing fund and the uh, form-based code um, development. $385,000, that's, that's what we're looking at for the next phase of the form-based code. So you previously had spent um, 150, 200, somewhere in that range on the feasibility study. Um, you're looking at close to $400,000 to actually move us to actual code language, a significant amount of dollars uh, uh, to do that. We're working with the consultant to, to finalize that. That'll ultimately be a contract that comes before you. And then you see a number of things on the social justice side, and, um, the biggest being the, the behavioral access center contribution that we previously talked about. Look ahead. Um, we just spent a lot of time on 19. I always like to kind of tell you what I think you're going to expect in the coming years too, so you can keep that important uh, or keep that in mind as you as you uh, go through your deliberations. I think we've got a couple years left of the uh, tax rate decreases. Remember, we're we're decreasing our tax rate really out of our debt service levy. It's not our operation. It's not our general fund levy. It's not our um, uh, transit levies or anything like that. We're reducing it out of the debt service levy as we project out um, our, our um, bonding. We probably have about two years left, I think, of decreases and, and probably some fairly significant decreases uh, before we start to level off. So we're in the low 16s right now as a tax rate. I think we'll probably end up, uh, you know, at this point, my best, bet, my best guess would be in the mid-15s uh, for um, uh, for a tax rate, which I think puts us in a, a, a very, very competitive uh, tax rate position and one that I think everybody would be very proud of. Um, utility increases, I mentioned refuse, landfill, stormwater. I'm not saying we're going to pursue in those areas, all, all three of those, but those are the areas that, that probably um, are next up at some stage. Uh, we've talked about the growth coming back down. Uh, we're going to continue to selectively add positions. You know, last year's budget, it was the streets division where we were able to add a couple positions. Now it's police and housing inspections. There's a few others that I'd like to get to um, that we hope to in, the, in, in future years. 
I'd like to have a more, uh, on, and this is on the staff side, I think we really need to start thinking about long-term public facility planning. Um, and I've listed some examples there, but as we're experiencing growth, we just need to anticipate the, the growth in, in our operations. Um, and and in, in a lot of cases, just dress, address woefully inadequate facilities. Um, so I listed a few up there. Um, I'm not saying that you know those things are gonna happen in three to five years, but we need to start thinking 10, 15 years out and, and really coming up with a plan and a funding strategy so that we can tackle those when the, when the time comes. You know, federal uncertainty goes without saying. We get a lot of federal funds, and who knows what's going to happen. Um, I, I know we're really nervous about things like transit and our housing authority and our, and our CDBG and home programs, but we're at the mercy of whatever's you know, whatever they uh, want to do. So um, we'll just have to wait and see. And then, you know, I think the biggest limiting factor that we have is our staff capacity right now when it comes to uh, the major capital projects. And I picked out a couple of division departments there: Public Works, NDS, and Parks and Recreation. We have an incredibly aggressive slate of projects and planning initiatives in each of those things. Um, I think we'll be fortunate to meet the schedule that we've laid out here. We're going to try as hard as we can to do so, but we're certainly at capacity in those areas, and, and we'll need to have that conversation as you have your budget deliberations. Last slide, I promise. Okay. Um, my final thoughts. Um, you, you should be very happy with where we're at um, financially. I think we're in, in a great financial uh, uh, position, and we've been able to address some really pressing issues in our community over the last several years. We've just talked for an hour and a half, and I haven't even mentioned flood recovery. You know, we're 10 years post-flood, and we're wrapping up um, the Gateway Project next year. That's a heck of an accomplishment for our community, and we should be proud of that. Proud of the the funding, outside funding that we brought in, and the local funding that we raised to, to carry out those projects. Um, what I really uh, appreciate about our staff is, you know, our staff is not afraid to tackle the, the big, tough projects. It's easy to kind of um, kick the can down the road on some tough projects like a Washington Street or a First Avenue grade separation project or coming up the Pedmont. Those are difficult projects, really trying, not only on the staff side, but the community side. Um, but we're able to aggressively pursue those, and that's, that's important. Uh, we've been able to dedicate funds to affordable housing for the first time uh, in the last few years. I think we're uh, uh, in a great position to do that. I mentioned the Access Center. The last bullet is looking ahead and, and kind of forecasting where you want to go. Uh, you talked a lot about bicycle-friendly community. There's more conversation about transit. I think we're really excited and we have the resources to be able to, to go after and look at a more integrated transportation network for our future. We have some instability in our tax base. That's that cloud of the property tax reform. So that's that's going to continue to challenge that core service delivery um, going forward. And what I really urge the council, my final thought to you is, uh, as you be begin your budget deliberations and later this month as you begin your strategic plan uh, initiatives, Use this financial position wisely. Um, you have opportunities. Uh, you're in a position to pursue opportunities uh, that you can collectively agree to and you think will impact the community the most. Um, but there's got to be that focus there. And, and that's one thing I'm going to stress as we get into to strategic planning. I think we really need to think about do we want to do 30 or 40 smaller things? And, and that's not a bad strategy. 
or do we really want to try to focus in and narrow that list of, 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 of areas and say, you know what, we can do these handful of things really, really well and have a profound impact on the community. Um, you know, something like that transit uh, study and that focus. In order to accomplish that and, and do so in the right way, we really need to have that organizational focus to, to, to keep us locked in. So um, I'll remind you of that, uh, at least my perspective, um, as you have your deliberations here. Um, thank you for your time. Thank you for everybody out here that, that sat through that. Um, hopefully uh, we didn't put you to sleep. There's plenty of caffeinated coffee back there if we did. Um, and now the rest of the, the, rest of the discussion is uh, at, at the council table. Before we get into questions from the council, I want to thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Ashley. Thank you, Simon, for presenting, making such a great presentation about the context that we are acting in and the choices that are possibly available, our expenditures, our revenues, et cetera, and how we need to act with regard to uh, developing our budget for the forthcoming year. And I also want to thank people in the audience and people at home who might have been watching this. And I really invite you to submit any written comments or phone comments to us about, uh, about your concerns, about your suggestions, uh, and any other kind of response you have with regard to the overview we've just seen. Uh, and I mean that for people watching on TV as well. So there are ways to do it, right? Uh, you can phone us, you can send us emails, you can use uh, your other social media, you can contact city staff. There, there are a whole range of ways to do it. And uh, with that, I, I think we need to give our council a chance to ask any questions they feel a need to ask at this point with regard to the overview we've just seen. Jeff, I'm curious about the retail consultant. What would you envision that would do, and what are we looking at in terms of particular budget outlay for that yeah. position? So that'll be in the economic development budget. Um, w w this is something we've never done, but a lot of cities have, and I've had a couple of council members over the years talk to me about a retail, being a little bit more aggressive on the retail side of things. So it's a $50,000 expenditure um, that, that w we would anticipate. We'd have to do an RFP, um, but it would be someone from the outside to come in and um, analyze our retail community, um, give us suggestions on maybe areas where um, um, our, our um, types of retail would normally fit in a market like this but that are absent, and then really give that information and some of the connections that that consultant would have to the commercial brokers, to the uh, commercial property owners. It's not really the city. We don't have retail space that we would be looking to fill. It's, it's more supplementing the resources that the um, property owners and commercial real estate brokers uh, would have. It's not a focus on downtown. I mean, they would be, that would be encompassed in it. Most of the concerns that I've heard is, you know, what's the retail like on, on the highway corridor uh, or on some of the, you know, the western side of the, of the community uh, and how can we supplement what we have there. So there's, there's consultants out there that, that help with that. And again, a number of cities do. Um, we just looked at a few, you know, Dubuque recently um, had did that and and uh, have had some success with that um, you're typically looking at you know more on the national level the chains and and that sort of thing um, it's it's information it's connections that sort of thing 
Yeah, Rocky, to your point, you know, this is something that I've talked to Jeff about before. I think, Susan, you've been in those, some of those conversations as well. I actually think it's in the wrong section um, from a strong local economy standpoint. I mean, I know that it obviously promotes that, but to me, it's really a social justice issue. Um, I don't know how many people have come to me and specifically talked about the fact that it's tough to get, um, you know, clothes and other things based on where they're living. And so when we're talking about walkability and some of the other things that I know our council is promoting, which is important, we really need to provide a, a different um, retail market for a lot of our residents that aren't able to, you know, I can shoot down the highway real quick and go to Corridge Mall if I if I need to get something from that retail standpoint. But a lot of our residents can, and this is another, you know, concern that came out not only in the campaign but again just conversations in general um, with the, you know, change in Kmart and the fact that Kmart's going down. I, I have some serious, serious concerns about um, what's going to happen to our southeast side as far as people being able to walk um, and you know uh, frequent that establishment. So, um, you know, that, again, that would be my only comment to that, that it, I think it's a social justice issue. Um, but, you know, I'll, yeah, it's just fine sure. where it's at. Uh, my only... <clears throat> you may, can do it. This may not work today. <laughs> <clears throat> my response to that, Kingsley, would be I think there's a lot of things that we do that are and should be social justice related, but I don't think that means we put them under social justice category. I, I think we keep them under the logical categories, and that is definitely an economic development issue. Um, but I think it comes with that focus that we've talked about is thinking about all these issues from a social justice perspective. And I've had those same concerns and those same conversations with Jeff, particularly about the Southeast side and with Kmart closing. This may be an unrelated question along the same lines, but the, the other issue that I've, I've heard concern about is affordable retail. You know, businesses looking for affordable retail and not being able to find it. it doesn't, I'm not hearing or sensing that this will be addressing that aspect of our retail sector, but it, it is a concern. You mean affordable retail space? Yeah. yeah. For, for businesses. Yeah, and I think that's, at least when I've heard that concern, you're really focused on the downtown, the urban core. Um, no, this is this this type of consultant would not necessarily be brought on to address that. Um, this is more filling existing spaces, working with, again, the property owners and the brokers. Anything else? All right, so we're going to dive much more deeply into each of these items by going through the, each of the departments. But I, I, I'm looking at the schedule and looking at the time. I know we're running yeah. behind schedule, but I yeah. think we need to take that short break. Yeah.